All right, there we go. Kids can go to their groups, and we'll be in Matthew 6, so if you'll go ahead and be flipping in your Bibles to that, or it would also be on the screen. We're glad you're here today. Um, love baptism because it's a public profession, which is obedience, and it's a public profession of something that's already happened to you, okay? And you're telling the world, it's happened to me, and I'm not ashamed, it's also a picture of, that, of the whole gospel and, and what Jesus did himself. Jesus died, was buried, and was raised to walk as well. Okay? So we're, we're following in the example of Jesus. We're following in the obedience to the words of Jesus when we follow in baptism. It took me um, 10 years to follow in obedience. 10 years. I was going to church, and I'd gotten saved as a freshman in college, and I was, you know, trying to follow Christ, but I hadn't been baptized. And I went to, I'd been sprinkled as an infant, but, um, and, and they called it baptism at the time, and, and I believe my parents were doing what they thought was exactly right, and um, they, to raise me, with, to make a, get to the place where I could follow Christ on my own, where I would make the decision, not somebody make it for me, I'm going to follow the Lord in, in my life. And I'll just tell you, we were going to join a, a Baptist church in South Florida. Actually, it was in Tampa. And um, to jo- we, I was convinced we were going to join this church. I, was, I mean, I cried the first time I went to that, that, that service. It was just like, this is where I want to raise my kids. And so I knew, without a shadow of doubt, that's where I was supposed to be. What I learned in the process of the, going through the process to join was that you must be immersed, baptized as a believer by immersion. Well, I knew I couldn't back out on any grounds that I could come up with because I already knew in my heart that's where we were supposed to be. And therefore, God knew when he called me to that place, our family, to join that church. He knew I was going to have to cross that threshold of, are you willing to humble yourself, get all wet in front of people you don't know, and profess Christ publicly? And so I did. Now, I don't want to scare the three that just got baptized, but within months I was called into the ministry. So just saying, you never know what God is holding back until you obey. He's waiting for you to obey. And the first step of obedience for the Christian is baptism as a believer, after you have professed Christ in your heart as as an individual. And obviously a baby can't do that. So I'm grateful my parents dedicated me to the Lord and, and that church when I was too small to walk. I'm grateful because that planted the seeds of faith, and, um, and ever since then, my faith has been building on those steps towards Christ. So um, baptism and, and church life in America today can be confusing, denominations and all of this. But at the end of the day, I just want to open my Bible and read what it says and try to understand what it says and live what it says. That's really all we're trying to do here, and you guys are learning right alongside of me. I'm learning right alongside of you because I still have a lot to learn, okay? Um, one of the things I have to learn is how not to be anxious when I'm tempted to be anxious. Okay, anybody in here relate? Anybody know what anxiety feels like? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever had a panic attack. Um, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever been up at night because you couldn't sleep because you were worried about something. But Jesus has words of encouragement for you today, and he has a word of command. Okay? This is a continuation of where we looked last week. Matthew 6, 19 through 24 was last week. And we said three things as it relates to the antidote to anxiety. And we said three ingredients were that you want a bank in heaven. Okay? You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. You want to keep your windows clean. 
All right, the windows to your soul, your eyes, the light of God, let that come in. Okay, make sure they're clean and clear. And then finally, make sure you know, make sure whether or not you're following the right master. Okay, who's your master? Who's calling the shots? And one of the reasons you and I have anxiety in our lives is because we're trying to serve two masters. We're trying to serve God and we're trying to serve something else, someone else. And that tension creates anxiety. Okay? Now, some people, they're not trying to follow God, and they have anxiety for different reasons. They're trying to, they're trying to be God in their own life, okay? and that creates its own chaos and, and stress. But um, for me, it's too, I'm wrestling, I wrestle with both of those. Okay? And Jesus is going to give us the final ingredient to the antidote for anxiety today. He's going to teach us not only not to, he's not only going to command us, don't worry, he's going to show us how, Okay? All right? And I know it's easy for me to get up here and say, and it's easy, you could say, well, it's easy for you to say, Jesus, you don't have to worry about anything. Just tell me to stop worrying. Well, you just don't know. Yeah, he does. He knows what's keeping you up at night. And he knows how to get you back to sleep when you need to sleep. He knows how to give you peace that surpasses all understanding, no matter what you're going through. And he knows that most of the challenges and troubles and, and problems you have going on in life, right? We talked about that last week, our coins. He's representing our problems, right? And he knows that a lot of these problems are things we can't control. There's, we cannot, we don't have any control over these circumstances. And what he's trying to help us do is... You got these. They're real. They're there. They aren't just going to evaporate, but don't do this. Don't start pulling them up and, and studying those problems and meditating on those problems because what happens is it, it distorts the background of the divine privilege. Not, I'm sorry, the divine provision that is available to us when we trust and follow the Lord. So you're going to leave with the same problems you came in with pretty much, but they're going to be here, I hope, instead of right here so that you can see there, there's a wealth of resources that will deliver you from Worry and anxiety and stress, just being overly distressed, okay? It's, it's in our hands. Now, if, you're, if I'm honest, there's going to be times when you're going to pick it right back up and you're going to pull it right back here, and I do it too, okay? But we're learning the process of repentance and faith, okay? Repentance and faith isn't something that just happens one time, and you're a Christian, and so you don't ever have to repent and believe again. It's, it's an ongoing... You cross that line of faith, yes, but... The process of becoming like Jesus, that sanctification process, I paid a lot of seminary money for to say, be able to say that, sanctification. That's the process of becoming more and more holy. That is becoming more and more like Jesus. That process requires me to practice, repent, and believe every time I get off and buy into and give into a temptation. Okay? So we're not going to, you might walk out of here with your suitcases of guilt left behind. I hope you do. And it might be before you even get to the car that you've already fallen back into temptation and given into that. But there's a way out that I want you to cling to and realize no matter what it is you've done before the Lord, he is there ready to forgive you. And he wants to do that for you. So um, with that, let's, let's pray. And then we're going to dive in and see what Jesus has to say about anxiety. Lord God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. It's your word. These words are God-breathed and profitable for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness that we might walk faithfully and fully with you. And so, Lord, today I pray that you'll help us hear them. I pray that you'll help us understand them. 
these words. I pray you'll help us comprehend them. And then, Lord, when we get to that place where we have a decision to make, I pray that we will obey them. Give us courage. You've already given us the faith. Give us the courage to act on that faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like I said, this is the rest of Do Not Worry. This is out of the Sermon on the Mount, which is chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. Jesus is five major teaching passages in the book of Matthew. Matthew is one of the 12 followers of Jesus. He knew what it was like to hang with Jesus 24-7. He knew what Jesus smelled like after a long day of ministry. That's how close he was to Jesus, okay? He knew details about the ministry that was happening day in and day out. And he'd been taking notes, and eventually he puts it and compiles it into one thoughtfully assembled document we call the Gospel of Matthew, okay? And we're in chapter 6 of that because we're marching through the whole thing, okay? Um, and what we're doing is um, we're, we're trying to... I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to just shine a spotlight on what he has said in such a way that when you walk out of here with... This is what I think I heard. It's not Darren's opinion, okay? Because it's not about my opinion, okay? I'll give you my opinion if you ask. I have no problem doing that. But what I really want to see happen is for you to discern yourself what is being said here and what am I supposed to do about it? Because that's how God speaks to us. It's not the only way he speaks to us, but this is the trustworthy, most reliable way you can go because the words on the page don't change, at least not on mine. Okay? All right. So let's, let's start reading. And we're going to go 25 through the end of chapter 6. And uh, all of these words are spoken by Jesus. Remember who he's speaking to? He's, he's outside. His disciples, the 12, are sitting kind of in front of him. He's sitting as a teacher would in those days. He's sitting down. They're sitting. And then there's oh, a few thousand people behind them listening in on what Jesus is saying to people who have a faith and want to follow God the one true God, the creator God, who also sustains and rescues us. And Jesus says, therefore, I'm going to say it again. You can say it with me if you know it. Whenever you see therefore, you always ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? And that's what we talked about last week. So I'm not going to go into it. I've kind of reviewed it already. Therefore, in light of what was written last week, what we've talked about since chapter 5, really in light of the whole book of Matthew, therefore, I tell you, remember, I is Jesus speaking. There's authority there. Jesus has all authority so that all nations might pledge all allegiance to him. That's the whole theme of the book of Matthew. I, Jesus, the one with authority, tell you, it's personal. It's you who have eyes to see, ears to hear, faith to believe. I tell you, and this is a command, do not worry. Okay? Do not worry about your life. And then he defines what he means a little more specifically when he says, what is life? What you eat, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So what's he saying? What's he, I mean, it's, he's saying, don't worry about these things. Now, he could have chosen a lot of things to worry about. He could have talked about family. He could have talked about your job. He could have talked about your health. But everybody eats, drinks, and wears clothes. There's a few exceptions to that. But by and large, that's the way we function, right? And that's a good thing. And it is totally appropriate 
and God knows that these are legitimate needs for you to eat, drink, and wear clothes, <laughs> okay? That's all good. What he's going to really shine a light on and say, this is what I want you not to do, is I want you not to be preoccupied with those things. I do not want you to assign too much significance to those things. Now, you guys, I don't have to convince you to tell you that our culture is obsessed with these three things, right? What you eat. How many restaurants are in Somerville alone, right? And uh, that doesn't get into all the foodies and the cooking and the, you know, whether you're talking about health food or you're talking about fried food or everything in between, right? We obsess over food. We're at breakfast going, now where are we going for lunch? We put food really, really high. Why? Because it's very pleasurable to eat when it's what you want and like and prepared the way you like it. What are we going to drink? Well, we've got water, and as long as it's not salt water, I think you're, you know, clean water would be great. And from what I'm reading, that's all we need, okay? That's not what Darren does. Darren drinks anything he can find with sugar in it, all right? Um, sometimes it's got bubbles in it, too. We even pump gas into our drinks because that makes it a little more something, right? We may, and then I, I'm not even getting into the fermented drinks that we like, okay? That's code for, you know, right? And, so we, and then just read, open a magazine and look at the ads and the, the bottles of beverages of choice that are out there and available to us, and we make a big deal about our drink. And we spend lots and lots of money on our drink. And then there's clothes, right? And, and, and so you know, all of this, you know, brands and labels, and the marketing folks, they know that all we have to do is feed on their fears that they're not going to have enough food or they're not going to have the right food or not going to eat in the right places and their people are going to look at them funny or they're not going to drink the right beverage or they're not going to, you know, wear the right clothing. And before you know it, we have made those three things gods. Okay? And if you think that's pushing it a little far, I, I challenge you to go back and look and see how much money you spent on those three categories in the last month. I hope you budget and you can do that quickly. That's another sermon for another time. But um, add it up just in one 30-day period of time. How much money did you spend on food, drink, and clothing? And then ask yourself the question, was that a reasonable amount? Or am I putting too much significance on that? And that's just a question between you and God. It's not the amount. It's, it's, the, it's the priority that you've made it. Okay? It's not spend nothing on it that makes you the best, and if you spend a lot, that's the worst. It's not the amount. It's where's my heart behind this? What's motivating me to buy that particular brand? Okay? And obviously brands, is, it's not as simple as that because it's not just about the label. I mean, the label implies more than just style. It can imply quality. But you know what I'm talking about, right? We say it's about quality to our spouse when we love that brand and want that brand because that's a little bit a little better in the argument than to say, well, that's what's in. Or that's, you know, that's what everybody else that I want to like me will like. So I want that brand. It's just, well, it's good quality clothing, you know. I mean, I only know it because I've used it, so I know. All right, so then he gives us one of three examples, really three illustrations, two very vivid ones that are going to drive home the logic behind do not worry, okay? Because Jesus is trying to arm you with what you need to do what is really, really hard to do, and that is don't worry. He's commanding you to do something that you're tempted to push back and go, how can he tell me to do that? I can't just stop worrying, 
Well, I don't think that God would call you to do something you can't do because to me that would be cruel to hold you to a standard that is not possible without at least providing you the help to make it happen. And he's doing that. He'll do that. And he's going to also arm you with other things in addition to the power of his spirit who lives in followers of Christ. He's going to give you logical reasons to do it, emotional reasons to do it, right? He's going to arm you with everything you need to not worry. Is it going to turn off overnight? Probably not. There are exceptions. Sometimes God will deliver somebody instantly from something, but usually it's a gradual thing. Okay? But that's okay. That's the right direction, right? Less anxiety is good, right? Less is more in that case. Okay, so he said, here's the first example. He says, look at the birds of the, sky, the, birds of the air, right? They do not sow or reap. That means they don't plant crops and they don't harvest crops or store them away in barns. They don't do that. In other words, they don't work for their food in the sense that they store it up so they'll have it later. Kind of like the squirrels kind of do that. The birds don't do that. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, heavenly Father, if remember when we went through the Lord's Prayer? And we said our Father in heaven was, to show, was showing us two sides of, of, of God. We saw it in the songs we sang. Holy, holy, holy gives us one side, and good, good Father gives us another side, right? God is at least two things, okay? He is an almighty, sovereign, all-powerful God who created everything with a word like that. The universe sits in the palm of his hand. If he had a hand that he could have it sitting in front of, and even that would be too big. You wouldn't be able to see it. It's so small because he's so big, okay? He's powerful, and he's holy, and he's not capable of doing anything, but it's good and right and, and good and right and true, okay? He, but he is also personal God. He is a dear father, like, a, like whatever you called your daddy when you were a little one, and you had a moment where you wanted to call your daddy, and that was a good thing. That he is at. So he, he not only can help you, he cares and wants to help you. Those two are both important, and a lot of folks focus on one or the other and miss the importance of the other. They're both important. But here again, we see it, our Father in heaven. Okay? So I just want to kind of remind that, okay? Yet your heavenly Father feeds these birds. Okay? Now, we know that's happening because there are birds all, all around. South Carolina has quite the wildlife, and I'm talking about the animal part right now, but there's a lot of animals, a lot of, but a lot of birds, and, and obviously they're eating well because they're reproducing. Okay? Um, we even have the Canadian geese. Sorry about that. Uh, I think they're eating fast food because they leave quite a mess, but they are they're all over the place right now, right? And they're clearly eating well. But he's saying, look, birds... He's feeding them. Now, they, I'm not saying they don't work for their food. They're always moving around looking for something to eat. But they're not planting and waiting for it to grow and harvesting it and storing it away in barns. They're literally living meal to meal, bite for bite. I wonder if we would be willing to try that for 30 days. But I digress. Okay, so, um, so he says here, um, he makes, here's, his, here's his case. Here's the logic of it. He asks a question. Are you not much more valuable than they? Are you not much more valuable than a bird? Now, um, 
Some people might go, well, we're all animals, we're all part of God's animal kingdom, and we're all equal and valuable, and, and I would agree that we're all valuable creatures that God has created. I would not say we're all equal, okay? And, and the reason I say that is because uh, Scripture teaches that people, unlike any other creature in the universe, and I would even go to the mat on this, if we find aliens, and I would even go all far if we had a multiverse and there were more people, that the Bible teaches that the image of God is for humanity, for people. He has created us uniquely in the image of God. What does that mean? It means he stamped his his divine um, uh, DNA in us in such a way that we reflect who he is. We aren't gods. We are not gods. We don't become gods, okay? All right? There's people that teach these things, but we do have his imprint, okay? We talk about the image of God, but they didn't have images back then that were like photographs. They were more like, it's more like impressed, kind of like memory phone. If you push your thumb into memory phone, and it's impressed image, okay? That's where, that's the idea. And so things like the fact that you and I can love somebody unconditionally, sacrificially, that's something an animal can't relate to. That doesn't mean that animals can't mimic those things at times, but most animals are not going to fly or run into a building to pull somebody out. It's on fire. Okay? Occasionally, somebody will do that. Okay? And that kind of love is unique to humanity. It's also rare, but it's there. But it's our, the image of God in humanity is depraved, it's corrupted, it's a problem. And this is where this was caused by sin. Jesus is going to fix it all in the end, okay? But right now we're in that in-between period where we have to live in a world where sin is a real thing, there's still an enemy, and he's still unchained, okay? He's been sentenced, and he's going to pay the price, and that day is coming. We don't know when exactly, but for now we're kind of living with some of the chaos that follows that. So that's the first image. Then he says this. Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? He gives us another example. See how the flowers of the field grow? See how the flowers of the field grow? They, they, they do not labor or spin. Yet, I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Solomon, this is King Solomon, the son of King David. This would have been 3,000 years ago. Um, probably one of, if not the wealthiest king in our history. His, just to give you an idea, one of the robes he would have, they'd have like gemstones sewn in, um, thread made from gold. Um, you know, I could retire on one of his robes. They're so valuable kind of thing. That kind of, you know, King Tut's going, oh, that's what rich looks like kind of thing, okay? It's just, and, and, and what Jesus is saying here, all right, and remember Solomon is, is a Jew, right? He, he's chosen people of God. God's favor poured out on him, and he's like, I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these flowers. And if you look, um, if, you, if you want to do the easy way, you can get online and look at pictures of flowers and just see the variety and the beauty. If you do that, go the next level and do microscopic pictures of flowers and look at the beauty there. Okay? It's amazing. I did that. I was going to show you pictures, but, you know, time. So um, he says, and then he, make, he draws, here's my conclusion then. He says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, 
okay? And, and in a pasture, you'll see grass and flowers kind of together, okay? The cows eat them both. <laughs> see how the, uh, he says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much clothe you, you of little faith? Is he not going to clothe you, right? So, I mean, flowers, they're not, they don't last very long, do they? Right? Most flowers. And yet, God went to a great amount of trouble to create them very beautifully for us. For us to enjoy and to reflect back to him. God, you're amazing. When I look at this flower, and, and for what? Just to make things beautiful. To make this world more like you. To give me some insight into what you're like. And God's like, if I'm going to go to that trouble for a flower, how much more am I going to go to the trouble to clothe you? So don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear. Stop worrying about those things. Okay? And at the end of the day, that's, that's the kind of thing we, we are worrying about. Now, oh, you of little faith. Now, there's two things that are happening here. Um, one is it's kind of like um, this... It's like a little dagger that slipped in. It pinches. It hurts, right? Um, Oh, you of little faith. That doesn't feel good to hear anybody tell you. Um, But if it awakens in you a better perspective on how to live out your faith, then that's a gift, even though in the moment it hurts. Okay? Now, I'll tell you this, too, about a little bit of faith, right? Jesus, in another place, says you just need a mustard seed size of faith to move mountains. And he's saying is... The reason something, God does something supernatural isn't because we have great faith. It's because we have a little bit of faith in a great God. Okay? My math people will get this. Chad, tell me if I get this wrong. Uh, of any number above zero times infinity is infinity, right? Is that right? Uh-oh, I got this. That means I'm not exactly right, math, math people. It's a lot, though, right? It's a lot. He's going to have to help me with that next time uh, before you leave please, sir. Okay? It's a lot. And if I have a little bit of faith in in a massive, infinite God, then that's a lot at the end of the day. But it's not a lot because of my part. It's a lot because of his part. Okay? So the question is, am I exercising that little bit of faith I have? Because that's the other thing, right? And if you don't use it, you lose it, just like muscle. Okay? Now, he, he starts to he starts to bring this in to say this. So he says, he comes back to his command, so do not worry. Okay, so he said it three times. That's for the men in the room. We need repeat, repetition, right? All right, and she, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Okay, pagans, not a word we necessarily use a lot. In the context here, it simply means those who don't, those who don't believe in God, or they live as if there's no God. So there's kind of three categories of this. Um, the fancy word atheist believes that there's no God to know. The, de- the deist believes there's a God, but he doesn't care. And then the finite theist is someone who says, there's a God, he just can't do whatever he wants. He's, he's impotent. He's limited. Okay? But none of those describe the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is infinitely capable. 
He is infinitely merciful. He cares. So he can and he cares. And he wants to know you. He knows you. And he wants you to know him. That's the part that's not automatic. He knows you because he created you. He came up with you. Right? Now, sin had its chance at you, too. And sin has gotten all of us a little off of what God's design would be in a perfect world. But you're an original, and he, he did that on purpose, okay, because he loves you. So what he's saying here is the pagans, the unbelievers of the world, will exalt food, drink, clothing, whatever you want to call it, whatever it is. He's exalting those things. They're exalting those things. Because they don't have a God to exalt, they become their gods. It's all about what I eat, what I drink, and what I wear. And if you kind of look at the world, the priorities of our world, I mean, at the end of the day, people are trying to make money so they can kind of take care of those three things without worry, without thinking, without having to strain or stress for what it costs to do those things. Okay? And they're derivatives to those. I'm not saying they're the only things. And what Jesus is saying is, if you want to quit worrying, if you want anxiety to evaporate, you need to choose and figure out who is my master and am I going to surrender? Am I going to surrender to my creator who is also my sustainer, my redeemer, the one who is going to take me from this broken world and put me into the, the new heaven and new earth when it's all complete? That's the question you need to ask. And answer. This is where he gives us the. This is where Jesus gives us the final ingredient. Okay, so our our ingredients are bank in heaven, keep your windows clean, make sure you're following the right master, and make sure you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Okay, let's look at it. He says it right here. Because your father knows what you need them. Verse thirty-three. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. All these things. What things? what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, what you worry about. All of these things, the needs will be met. This is a promise. Now, if, if you knew that you were never going to be without need, genuinely without genuine needs, not wants, there's a difference, I think your stress level would come down. Okay? And I'm not going to draw lines in the sand and tell you where need stops and wants begins because it, just, it depends. It varies. There's a, right? Everybody's a little different. This is between you and the Lord, okay? And a lot of it has to do with that heart thing that we talked about last week. So go back and look at that. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry. This is, I'm going to come back to verse 33 to end. 34. Therefore, in light of what we've read today, okay? Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen to that, right? So what's these, I've heard it said this way. When we try to worry about tomorrow, we have not only are able to do anything about it, we can't change a thing. I think I missed that verse, right? You can't, hour, you can't add an hour to your day. You can't add a minute to your day by worrying about it. Go try, all right? I can't deal with today's trouble if I'm focused on tomorrow's trouble. And today's trouble's trouble. It's hard enough, right? And, and you don't even know if you're going to live tomorrow. There's no guarantee. 
People die early every day. So he's saying, be present, be fully present. If you look at the Gospels and you just look at the life of Jesus, watch how he lived. He didn't have a house. He didn't own any property. He didn't, uh, he didn't have his own transportation, right? He had, maybe, he had maybe a change of clothes, one pair of sandals probably, and his walking stick if he needed one, if he wanted one. And he just went from place to place, and he didn't worry about what. He didn't grow crops. He didn't harvest. He didn't store in barns. He walked by faith every single day and modeled that for his disciples and then sent them out to do the same. Okay? It doesn't mean that it's wrong to accumulate and store away. It doesn't mean that that's wrong. There's other places in Scripture that address saving is wise. Okay? But don't miss the, the heart of this is, are you walking by faith in your life? Are you walking in such a way that you're trusting that he is going to provide whatever it is you need in life? And therefore, if you're tempted to be stressed out about it, that you're forgetting that or you're not believing that and you're slipping back into that, that doubt. Don't do that. Jesus says, stop it. (laughs) Don't do that. That's no way to live free from anxiety. There's no peace in that. And this is why we have ulcers, and this is why we we have some of the diseases and illnesses that we struggle with, because a lot of it is triggered by stress, which is just sustained anxiety and worry. And we can do something about this. We can't control our circumstances, but we can control how we respond to them, them. And you can choose to do that with his help. Remember, because he can help you, he's able, and he wants to help you because he cares. Father in heaven. Okay, so what do I want you to leave today do to do? What do I want you to do this week? What do I want you to do the rest of your life? I want you, I want you to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, what's his kingdom? What does it mean to seek his kingdom? Well, obviously, seek is to go, seek is to go after. Seek first tells you the priority. First things first. Seek first what? His kingdom. Whose kingdom? Well, Jesus is talking about, talking about somebody else. Kingdom. He's t- because Jesus is on earth at the time, he's pointing to his heavenly father, his kingdom, which, of course, God, it, Scripture tells us, put Jesus in charge of. Jesus is the king, okay? So seek first his kingdom. Well, what does that look like? It means to, to look, it means to pursue righteousness, right living, a kingdom where you live, where you act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Okay? That doesn't sound like any political party I'm familiar with. I'm just saying. Okay, Even though there are people in those parties, I think, that want these things from time to time, that's not the number one way to, to change the world. Okay, There's a way that God uses that. God works through people that work through politics if they're willing to live this way. But it's act justly, uh, love mercy, walk humbly with God. That's how Jesus did it. You don't see Jesus campaigning against Herod. Right? Or Pilate. He just lives in the moment righteously for the kingdom. It's his only priority. And he's so committed to it that he dies for the cause. 
And if he doesn't do that, we have no chance, no hope, because if there's no Jesus on a cross, there is no hope for, for humanity. But he did. And, when he, and he calls us, you and me, to come and, come and see, come and follow, come and die. He calls us to the same thing. Do you see it? If the kingdom of God and his righteousness is not your first priority, then you're off the rails. And that's true for me too. Just because I'm up here now saying it doesn't mean I always do it. I'm right there with you. I am tempted to be anxious because I get my eyes off the prize and I get distracted and all of a sudden I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat for lunch. And it's not that that's wrong to think about what you're going to eat for lunch, but it is wrong to prioritize that and to obsess over that at the exclusion of what really matters, which is the kingdom and living a righteous life. What does it look like to live a righteous life? Tell the truth. Okay? Tell the truth. If you're going to say something, it needs to be true. If you don't want to tell the truth, keep your mouth shut. Live justly. Treat people as image bearers, no matter what they look like, no matter what political party they care for, no matter what they say to you, no matter how they treat you, no matter how they disrespect you. You love them even if you don't like them. Love your enemies, okay? Do good. Don't just don't do bad. Don't just withhold bad. Do good things. Live for the good of the city. Pick up a piece of trash. Look out for somebody who might not be able to defend themselves. You see, these are things you and I know. This is not newsflash. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. what What you're hearing, though, I think that might be different is this is a way of life for us as followers of Christ, whether you, uh, whether, whether people like it or not. And people aren't going to like it because they're going to they're call you out and cancel you for doing these great things. Okay, That's where our culture is, and it's not going to get better, I don't think. So you and I have to count the cost. Am I willing to do this? Am I willing to suffer for, these, for this cause? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Am I willing to die for this cause? I mean, those are legitimate questions that you and I need to wrestle with regularly because we're gonna, if you try to walk and follow Jesus, people are going to get in your face, and they're going to they're gonna tell you why you're wrong, and they're going to tell you why you're stupid and trying to be holier than thou and all these other things. They're going to get in your face, and they're going to try to mess with you. They're going to persecute you. It's going to happen. If you follow Jesus long enough, you will be persecuted. Okay? All right? Well, embrace that. Don't try to avoid that. Jesus didn't. He could have. Pilate looked for a way to get him off the cross. It's just bigger than just worrying about what we're going to have for lunch today, isn't it? I mean, but isn't it funny how that's there too? It's like God has a remedy for everything from what are we going to do about lunch to what are we going to do about the next life. He covers it all. He's good. This is why it's part of Jesus' manifesto, his kingdom manifesto. You need to know it. You need to read it. You need to ask questions of yourself as it relates to these three chapters in particular and ask yourself the question, who's the master I'm trying to serve? Am I seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness? And if you're not, then you need to repent. Okay? Or if there's any other sin in your life, you need to repent. When we do the Lord's Supper here, which is going to happen in these two places in just a minute, 
We're gonna, it's wel- you're welcome to come if you're a follower of Christ. Unless you haven't confessed your sins. And when I say that, I don't just mean, dear God, forgive me for my sins. Okay? You kind of, that doesn't sit real well with you, does it? When I just, ah, forgive me for my sins. I'm going to go get a piece of bread and a cup of grape juice and I'm good. No. Let God search your heart. He's already done it, by the way, and you already know what you need to repent of. That's the question. Isn't, it isn't, am I just not good at this or am I being rebellious in this? And that rebellious heart, don't do that. Don't make a mockery of this. This is not just a ritual. This is, this is real, okay? Be real. And then what we'll do is, so because this symbolizes the cross. The piece of bread represents the body of Christ. The grape juice cup represents the blood of Christ. He was beaten to a pulp. He was killed, and his blood was drained, and he died for the sins of the world, willingly, because his father sent him to do that. Because that was the only remedy to defeat sin and death, shame and guilt, hell itself. And we are benefactors. He did it for, because he wanted to obey his dad first, and he did it for us second. Because we needed the mercy of God. Okay? Right? If you've got questions about this, look, so do I. <laughs> okay? It's okay to have questions. The, the, the thing I would challenge you to do is act on what you already do know and understand. Act on that, and God will give you more understanding with the things you don't. And, you know, ask us questions. We're around. That's part of why we're here, okay? I'll be I'm standing over here this week uh, as people are going through both sides. You don't have to be a member here to participate in the Lord's Supper. Just remember what it's for. So I'm going to invite our musicians to go ahead and come, and I'm going to pray. Um, and those who are serving at the tables, if you can go ahead and make your way there too. And I'm going to pray for us. And then... Um, your, your job is to respond, right? I mean, that's part of what we're doing here, right? We're trying to help you figure out how to interact with God in a way that's meaningful. And there's some communication that's required in that, all right? You're listening to God. You've been doing a little bit of that. Now, um, what do you need to say to him, if anything? And, you know, maybe there's nothing you have to say except forgive me, Lord. <laughs> that's okay. All right, let's pray. Lord God, as, as we... Um, continue to worship you through this song. Lord, may we also worship you as we reflect on the words that we've heard that have landed on us in a way that's unmistakably you. Give us, Lord, the courage to exercise the faith you've already given us that we might become more like you as we submit and surrender the areas of our life that we like to cling to and hang on to. And we want to be Lord of that part of our lives. We want to be in charge. And Lord, surrender means let go of everything. And that's so hard. Lord, I just pray you give us the, the, the belief that you are good. And because you're good, you're safe in the sense that I can trust you. You're dangerous in that what you might call me to do might call me to do more than I ever thought I would need to surrender. May we count the cost of following a good and great God. We love you and we we praise you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.